0: Tonight, uh, we begin a brand new sermon series for The View. If you were with us this summer, then you will remember that we answered a lot of questions that you guys sent in um, over the summer, from June and July, and then we've been off the last few weeks. Uh, But for the fall, we're beginning a brand new sermon series, and it's titled, Be a Blessing. And you see it on the shirts, which the shirt colors are adorable, very fall, even though the weather is not fall. We are celebrating fall. Amen. Pumpkin spice lattes are almost back. (laughs) Just got to give it time. I have no idea when they come back, but I know they are. (laughs) Are they back? Oh wow, we'll get there. There's first praise of a night. There's a blessing right there, right? Uh, Be a blessing. So this is where we are going to uh, venture together through for the next six weeks. And our middle school ministry is doing this series as well, which is very exciting. And so we're walking through six moments in the book of Acts um, and that show what it means to be a blessing to other people in our lives. That's the kind of the heartbeat of the series is Man, we have been so blessed in Christ. We have so, so many blessings. We have so, first off, if you are a believer, you have salvation. You have an eternal place in heaven, but we've also been so blessed in our way of living and opportunities and resources. And what better way to put ourselves in the mind of Christ than to say, I don't just want to be blessed. I want to be a blessing to somebody else. And so that's the series that we're gonna do for the next six weeks. Like I said, all six weeks, are gonna be in Acts. So what I would encourage you to do is as we preach through these, we're going to kind of skip over chapters. We're, you know, we can't cover 28 chapters in six weeks. I would encourage you to read in what we don't preach on. So tonight we're in Acts 1. I would encourage you next time we meet, which is not next week, so Labor Day, but the week after we're going to be in Acts 2, to read the verses in between where we end tonight and where we're going to start that night. We're going to post on social media as to where we will be when we resume the view. And so I'd encourage you to read along with us as we venture through what it means to be a blessing. Now, as I said a minute ago, my name is Daniel. I'm a graduate of the University of Memphis, and I've been with The View now for seven years. Uh, next week, I have been with The View, and it has been a great blessing to be a part of this ministry and to see college students' lives transformed. I've been in the ministry long enough to see some college students now uh, married and in the next season and, and catching up to my age, and I love doing college ministry. And we, have a, we had a great day at University of Memphis, but most of all, we have a great opportunity this fall to hopefully You and me together and our ministry together grow closer to Christ, find our purpose, find our meaning in him. Now, show of hands, how many of you would love, 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 love to walk closer alongside Christ this fall? Amen? Right? And some of you, right, some of you are here and you're like, hey, I don't really know about Jesus. I don't really know about the Christianity thing. And you're just trying this out. Like, man, praise God that you're here. But I want to tell you, we're going to talk a lot about testimonies tonight, that there is none who can save you and transform your life like Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. So let me give you the title for tonight. So we're going to be in Acts 1. The title of the first sermon is Be a Witness. Be a Witness. It seems that everybody in our culture today in 2023 wants to be blessed. We desire to be blessed. If you keep up with social media, if you follow trends, if you follow what's popular, you'll see very much that That our generation, your generation and mine, millennials and Gen Z, we want to be blessed. How do we want to be blessed? We want to have lives that thrive physically. We want good health. We don't want to endure sickness. We don't want things like that to mess up our lives. We want to be blessed physically. Not just that, we want to be blessed emotionally. right? Our generation, your generation and mine is is so desperate to escape this sadness or this brokenness that we see around us. We want to be blessed emotionally. Not only that, but our generation wants to be blessed relationally. We don't just want one or two friends. We want a lot of friends, and we want them to admire and adore us if we're honest, right? We're going to be honest in church tonight. Like, we want people to think very highly of us. We want to be accepted, and we want to have approval from people. We want to be loved. And then, and if we're really be honest, we want to be blessed financially. I mean, that's why a lot of us do school or work, right? We're building towards something. Not many days do we wake up in the morning and say, how can I make somebody else's day better? I mean, unless you're supernatural, if you're, if you're a crazy human being and you just wake up and the first thought you have is, man, let me go transform somebody else's life, then power to you. But for us normal, selfish people that struggle with selfishness, if we're going to be honest tonight, we wake up a lot of times and our first thought is, what can I do to make today the best that it can be for me? Just being honest, that's our nature, Right? And so as you look at our culture, we all want to be blessed, but not often do we want to be the blessing to somebody else. And and my challenge to you with this series is, if a room this big, if all of us got together and said, we want to be a blessing, not just pursue after being blessed, Thomas, what would our community look like around us? What would our campus and our workplaces, what would our neighborhoods and our jobs, what would our friend groups look like, Sam, if we woke up every day to say, hey, I exist to make somebody else's life godlier and better. It's not about me today. What would that look like? And that's the heart of this. The problem for us to do that is that we cannot do it within our own willpower, right? Scripture says that we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us to achieve this, that if we are left to just our own willpower, we're gonna fall short. Why? Because humanity's broken. And I've said it many Monday nights, you don't have to be a believer in Christ to agree with me that our world is broken. I mean, you and I can agree on that. Like, we got brokenness. We got divorce. We have hurt. We have pain. We have poverty. And all the way back from Genesis 1 to 11, you can trace why we have that. Genesis chapter 6, if you look at the screen with me, it says this in verse 12, that when God, thousands of years ago, saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. That from the beginning, from all the way in Genesis, there's this corruption that's happening, right? And it's because of sin, If you venture into the New Testament, you're very familiar with Romans 3, verse 23, where Paul tells the Christians in Rome, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We have this sin problem, and this sin problem doesn't leave you when you get to college. It doesn't leave you when you get to your next season of life after college. It doesn't leave you when you become a parent. As long as you and I have flesh, we wrestle with sin. But in Christ, we can have daily victory. And whether we know it or not, all of us want to break out of this godliness. I'll show you Psalm 84, verse 2. It says this. The psalmist says, I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God deep inside of us, whether you're a Christian tonight or not, we so desperately want to escape this current situation that we're in, this brokenness, this hurt, this pain. And the only way is Jesus Christ. Romans 6:23, many of you are familiar with this. We use this every night that we share. The gospel and the invitation here at the view, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Many of us want to be blessed, but we don't want to be the blessing to somebody else. How different would our lives look? And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look at Acts chapter one. And I want to ask the question of what would it look like if we follow Jesus's orders and commands and the mission that he gave? Now understand that when we look at Acts chapter 1, this is moments after Jesus, right? Before this comes Luke. Luke and Acts go together. And Luke's writing. He tells about Jesus' crucifixion. He tells about Jesus raising from the dead. He tells about Jesus appearing to many, many, many people when he rose from the dead. Jesus gives the Great Commission, and then here in Acts chapter 1, he promises that the Holy Spirit is coming when he ascends into heaven. Now, what's amazing, is Acts is a pivotal book in the New Testament. If we did not have Acts it would be hard for us to connect the dots as to how Christianity has gone all the places that it has gone. If you went from the end of Luke and then picked up to Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, you would say, how in the world did Christianity get from Jerusalem to Rome, right? Because that's an amazing accomplishment and that's what Acts speaks to. Because humanly speaking, hear hear me for a minute, humanly speaking, the gospel had nothing going for it at this time in Acts 1, humanly speaking. Heavenly speaking, it had everything going for it. But from a human standpoint, it had no money, it had no established leaders, it was new, and it faced the most extreme obstacles that you could have at that time. Christians were being martyred and killed for claiming this Christianity. I mean, it had nothing going for it from a human perspective. But we know from a heavenly perspective that the gospel was about to take off for thousands and thousands of years. So when you read Acts, you see how Paul and the gospel itself makes its way to Rome And then how the gospel of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later has made it to you in America in 2023. So this book that we're about to walk through is crucial for the early church. And I hope that you wouldn't fall in love with the early church as many Christians do. I hope that you would look at it and fall in love with Jesus Christ. Because we have an opportunity to be just as united, just as filled with the Holy Spirit today as they did in Acts. So look with me if you will. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 4 tonight. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, while, while he was with them, that being Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time was his full reign about to happen is the question they ask and Jesus says this he said it is not for you to know times or periods that the father has set by his own authority and then here's verse 8 crucial crucial verse right here in acts chapter 1 right here it is this is what Jesus says you can trace this all to the gospels that lead, leading to him to this statement but you will receive everybody say receive receive what does that mean you have to take and accept Not create power, but you must receive power. Man, that's a a relief. (laughs) That's a relief that you and I don't have to come up with the power to do something special. We receive it from Jesus, and he does it through us. Man, that's a relief. If you have not taken a breath of relief today, man, please take one now. (sighs) Feels good, doesn't it? You ain't got to create the power. You receive the power from the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you will receive power when... When you build your name up, no. When you build your career up, no. When you build the early church up, no. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When you receive the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden limitations that you once had from a earthly perspective are now taken off the table and you have the opportunity to be used by a God who is outside of time and outside of our creation, yet he cares so much that he is intervening and involved in his creation, he says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you." Now, let me be very clear, because this is where we stand biblically here at the View and at Bellevue. If you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ in your heart, Romans ten nine says, "If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved." You're not. You don't receive the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. You should receive the Holy Spirit when your heart is given over to Jesus Christ. You don't receive the Holy Spirit when you start doing works. You receive the Holy Spirit when you. Cry out in faith that Jesus is your Savior. Your works show that you're saved. They can't make you saved. Baptism can't make you saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be be saved. You repent and you believe in the name of Jesus and you confess him as that. That's what scripture says. You receive the Holy Spirit. Everything else is a celebration of what Christ is doing in you. And now there's so much in this verse that we're going to pick apart. Not only will you receive power, college students, not only will you receive the Holy Spirit living inside your heart, which means God's presence dwelling within you, but there's a mission that comes with it, a mission that's lost on a lot of us many days, myself included. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witness. Witness. You will be my witnesses. And he says it plural. We're so individualistic in our culture today. In D- Jesus' day, they were very group-focused. Your identity did not just come from an individual standpoint. They found their identity in community and in a group. They were very group-based. He says, witnesses, there's not just one person for this mission. There's a, there's a kingdom of people for this mission. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. He goes on to say this. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Jesus is coming back. And so let's pick this apart. Here's number one, if you're taking notes. I got three things for you. Three that I hope marinate with you all week long. Number one, to be a witness, you must have a testimony. (laughs) Praise God. To be a witness, you must have a testimony. Let's do some defining. Let's make sure you and I have the same language that's coming from Scripture. A witness, very important language Jesus uses... A witness is a person who has knowledge, watch this, and personal experience with an event or with a person. First hand, right? A witness is not somebody who's second hand. A witness means you firsthand have personal, real life experience with the event or with the person, right? That's why you can't just be a witness. And I'm not trying to step on toes. You can't just be a witness of Christ based on your mom or dad's faith. You can't just be a witness of Christ based on your buddy's faith. or Because your grandma prays for you doesn't mean you can be a witness. A witness means you have First hand personal experience with an event and with a person. And then a testimony is a story, but it's more than just a story, right? Sometimes you can tell, sometimes people tell stories and you have no idea where they're going with that story. You ever been, you ever been there? You ever listen to somebody like that? If you've never listened to somebody like that, I got bad news. You might be that storyteller. <laughs> if you're sitting there like, man, everybody's story I hear is great, like, man, maybe, sometimes you chase rabbit trails, I don't know. Testimony means this. I was this way, this happened, and now I'm this way. There's a change. So, hear me for a minute. Scripturally and in law, to be a witness, you must have firsthand personal experience. It's you. And then, secondly, there's a story that's involving a change. A change. So let me ask you tonight, as you came to The View on a Monday night at 7 o'clock, what is your story? Where were you born? Where were you raised? What kind of culture did you grow up in? You can tell by the way I talk, I grew up in a different culture than a lot of people, right? What kind of culture did you grow up into? Do you talk different because of the way you were raised? Do you dress different? Do you carry yourself a little bit different? What's your hobbies? What's your skills? What do you like to do for fun? Do you do anything for fun? There's a few years in my life I didn't do anything for fun. I was very depressed. I've struggled a lot in my life with depression. I ain't do a lot of fun things. Do you have fun things? What are you good at? I'm serious. Scripture says all of us have skills and talents and abilities. What are you good at? Some of us can sing. These beautiful singers up here, man, doing incredible. I'm jealous. I don't have those kind of pipes. I don't. I wish I could stand up here and sing like Katie. I can't. You might say, oh, Daniel, yes, you can. No, I can't. I'm telling you, I can't. I wish. Maybe if I practice long enough. What's your skill? What's your talent? What has God given you that you're good at, that you can bring some glory to his name and help with other people? I mean, you have a story. You know what's crazy about our culture and our generation? We're so fast-paced and we're so connected digitally all the time that we rarely ever stop to actually think about what story do I have that is playing out before me? Like, what story is being written? Man, when you look at Scripture and you look at the witnesses that came out of the New Testament, my goodness gracious, there's some testimonies that came from the New Testament. In fact, I would argue you could not encounter Jesus without walking away with a testimony. Can I get an amen? I think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Are you familiar with that text? Come on, man. If you're not, then you can be. But tell me, the woman at the well, she meets Jesus. He takes the long way. She's Samaritan, so... The Jews don't talk to Samaritans. A racial and cultural barrier is broken by Jesus. He tells her her sin, and then he points her to living water, right? He's like, hey, you're thirsty, and there's water here, but if you knew me, you would never thirst again. And at first, she's like, you know, you got some Dasani I don't know about. <laughs> He's like, if you knew me, you'd never thirst again. And this woman, right, the testimony, Look, think about her testimony. Here it is in John. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 39 to 42. Now many Samaritans, this is after it says, from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she what? Woo! She testified. She said, He told me everything I ever did. Some of you are like, Man, I got that's no, that's not crazy. My friends know everything I do. Oh, do they really? They know everything, internal and external. Jesus does, and he still loves you. If some of your friends knew everything internal and external from your life, they wouldn't want to be friends with you no more. Let's be honest. And she said, he told me everything I ever did. And then he goes on to say this in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. Think about this, college they go from second-hand witnesses to first-hand witnesses, and they go to her and they're like, "Hey, your testimony was great, but we ain't living off of it anymore. <laughs> your testimony was awesome, but we've heard firsthand the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. We've heard firsthand that He's the Son of God, the Son of Man, fully God and fully man, and He has come to pay the penalty of sins that we've been waiting for for thousands of years." They said, "Your testimony is great, but to be honest, we don't need it anymore. We got our own testimony." We got our own testimony, and people from the town get saved because uh, because racial and cultural barriers were broken by Jesus. The woman's testimony led other people to Jesus. Have you ever had that happen? That's the Christian life. That's your testimony makes people want to go find out less about you and more about Jesus. That they want to know about Jesus because of your story, because of what has happened in your life. Because you're a witness firsthand, your eyes, your heart has seen it. I don't know what's greater than your eyes seeing Jesus, than your heart seeing Jesus. That's a testimony. Oh, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we heard for ourselves and know that he's the Savior of the world. I think about the man who was born blind and healed by Jesus. Do you know that one? In John chapter 9, this man's been blind his whole life, comes in contact with Jesus, he rubs mud on his eyes. He opens his eyes. The first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. His sight is restored. I mean, can you imagine? <clears throat> can you imagine not being able to see your whole life and then your eyes being opened because a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi came by and took the time enough to see you and be a blessing and do a miracle for you? You talk about walking away with a testimony. This brother, they're questioning him. They're claiming he's with him. They're claiming all kinds of things at him. They're they're cursing him and they're wanting to kill him and they want to know where Jesus is. And this man, he says this, John 9, verse 25. He said, he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. What a testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. College students, that's your story tonight. I'm serious. Only you know where you were born, where you were raised, the kind of culture you were in, your skills and talents, and ultimately only you know if you have a testimony because your life is testifying to something. Hey, at the end of the day, your life is pointing to something whether you want it to or not. Your life is telling a testimony. Your life is testifying to something. For some of us in this room, if we're honest tonight, our testimony is not pointing people to God our testimony is pointing people to the world right now. For some of us in here, we haven't encountered Jesus enough to have that change. We still want the world. If somebody was to watch our story play out, they'd say, man, they loved money. Oh, that part, they loved money. They were all about the gains and securing the bag. They loved money. They wanted all the money they could get. <coughs> There's some of us in here who are our, te- our story, our testimony is testifying to other people. That once you get married, you've got all the fulfillment in the world. You don't need Jesus. For some of us, our testimony is telling people we want to be married more than we want to know the creator of the heavens and the earth. For some of us, it's alcohol. We can't get away from the bottle. For some of us, it's marijuana. We can't get away from smoking weed. For some of us, it's jealousy and it's bad friendships and it's just rotten community that we're stuck in and we can't get out of it. And we long for something more. We all have pain that we hold on to. We have hurt that we hold. We have trauma. We endure. And it shapes us. And if you're not careful, what you go through can point your eyes and your story to the world and not to Jesus. And man, I don't say that to call you out. I say that because as Christians in the room, what's my life testifying to? And sometimes my life as a Christian is testifying that I think Jesus is a great role model, but I don't really believe he's God because I don't obey him 24-7 the way I should. You been there with me? You there yet? Or you got the obedience 24-7 down. You might be better than I am. Sometimes my life testifies to fear more than faith. Man, is there any Christians in here who would say, yeah, sometimes my life is testifying more to fear than faith? Yeah, I'm not alone. There's sometimes I know God is telling me to get out of my comfort zone and do something for him, but I'm so afraid I choose fear over faith. And I'm not the only one in the room. It's not just lost people whose lives are testifying to the world. Sometimes it's believers who just need a little bit of faith that God's gonna be faithful in the end if we just hold on to him when all seems gray and all seems dark. What's your story? What's your life testifying to tonight? What kind of testimony do you have? Because here's the amazing thing, all right? First off, if you're a Christian, man, God uses normal, ordinary people, which we all are in this room, to do extraordinary things. That when you start putting your faith on the table, God can turn it into a miracle. I want to I wanna ask you, what could God do if he got a hold of your heart? What could God do if he got a hold of your life? What could God do if you sold out and you said, hey, my whole life's on the table. God, do with my finances what you want. I trust you because you're big enough. God, do with my relationships and my friendships what you want. God, do with my career. God, take my summers. Send me in the world where you want to send me as a missionary. I might be scared, but I'll go. What, would he, what could God do if he got a hold of you? and started changing your testimony a little bit. All of a sudden, people would be like, you know, I I used to know Tanner. And man, he used to be afraid all the time. And then all of a sudden, he got serious about God and he started stepping out in the faith. I've seen Tanner do some crazy things for the Lord I never thought I'd see him do. He's talking to people. He's witnessing to people. He's loving his coworkers. And man, somebody's gonna see Tanner get serious about God and say, man, I wanna get serious about God too. I think about all the time, How if I just take the time to pray for somebody when they ask me to, right then, not the whole, hey, I'll pray for you later. But like if I just stop and pray for that person right now, would that inspire them to go pray for somebody right after that? And all of a sudden I realized, man, it's not rocket science for my life to testify that prayer is powerful. I just got to pray. And I just got to start now. Not tomorrow. I got to start being a witness. Not tomorrow, today. I gotta start talking about Jesus. I gotta start sharing this story that God's given me, and He's given you one too. Are you willing to share it? You know that people wanna hear your story? They wanna hear what God's doing in your life. They wanna know, man, where were you? What changed? Where's God taking you? Everybody wants to hear your story. God's gonna bring you people who wanna hear your story. I haven't shared this in many years. I remember the first time I came to the view. Man, I was terrified to walk inside the door because I was so socially introverted. I was very quiet. I coached high school basketball, but man, I'm telling you, I was just very, very shy and very shy with Christians because I'll be honest, no offense. I am one now, but man, I I just could not stand Christians. Listen, I'm just being honest with you. I just thought Christianity was a scam. I thought Christians were rude. And at 21, the last thing I wanted to do was ever label myself a Christian. I hated labels. If you asked me at that time, I would have said, Mark, I would have said, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Have you ever heard that? That was me on campus. If you would have talked to me in 2016, I would have said, man, I'm spiritual, but I'm not very religious. And I remember the first time I came to The View, we had a different place, and there were buildings. And I was driving back and forth past the door, and I was trying to build up the courage to go inside. I don't know how you are when you go to social settings. I didn't have any friends that were Christians. I didn't have any believers who were friends of mine. So I had to go to this college ministry by myself, and I was sick. My stomach hurt. I brought a Bible from my childhood. It's the only Bible I had. It had a picture of Noah's Ark on the cover. It had questions for kids inside the Bible. It was like, why do you think God loves you? And I'm sitting here reading it at 21. It was like, why do you think man named the animals? I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of cool. Never knew that. (laughs) And so I've got this Bible, and I'm driving back and forth past the view door, And I'm trying to see if anybody is at the help desk. Nobody was outside. This was a different era. This was seven years ago. Nobody was outside. And I I couldn't tell. I knew there was a help desk. This is how detailed I was about it. I knew there was a help desk. I just didn't know if there was anybody behind it. So what I didn't want to do, because it was about 730, I didn't want to walk in and do that whole, like, where do I sit kind of deal. You know, where do I go? I don't know anybody. And in my mind, I thought as soon as I walk in, they're going to be like, oh, that's not a Christian. We got one. You know, like, come here, boy. (laughs) You know. I was like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I was like, I just want to meet one person. I want to slide in. I want to sit down. I just want to make it to the service and, and hopefully find God. It's like my prayer, right? I drove back and forth past the door a total of eight times. I mean, I looked like I, looked like I was about to do something very bad. because so I'm just driving back and forth, like staring. And I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if anybody was behind the help desk. Nobody with signs, I didn't know where to go. So I parked my car and I'm building up the courage, right? Some of you who have been here for a long time know my my story and some of you who haven't been don't know. I'm sitting in the parking lot, I'm building up my courage. I'm like, all right, you can do this. Just walk inside the view. Just walk inside the view. Just walk inside, find somebody who looks normal, you know, and just use words and talk, (laughs) And, man, I turn off my car. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And it's 740, and I'm like, I'm missing the whole thing. 745 hits, and I remember the enemy winning. Like, I don't know if you remember moments where the devil wins battles in your life. I remember at 745 on November 22nd, 2015, I remember the devil winning a battle. I could feel it in my body. I knew it in my mind, and I knew it in my heart. I was like, the devil just won. I turned on my car, I drove out of the parking lot, and I went home. And I never went inside. And if you were here, if you were wearing the shirt, you would have never met me that night. I never made it out of my car. I had the door open, I had one foot on the parking lot, I never made it inside. And I went home, I remember my mom, she was like, you're home early. I was like, yeah, short service. You know, they're a little, you know, they don't do as long as sermons. And she was like, how was it? I was like, I didn't go. She was like, Why? I had to be honest. I said, Mom, I was too afraid. I was too scared. And my mom looked at me in the moment. She said, so you're going to let fear keep you from finding God? Because she knew the journey I was on. She prayed for me for 12 years. She like, you're going to keep a little bit of fear from walking into a place, keep you from God? And ever since that moment, like for me personally, my testimony, something changed in me. Like something, a, flip, a switch flipped in me. I don't know if you've had that moment. I've realized in that moment, I put a stake in the ground. I said, I am never going to allow fear to keep me from pursuing God again. And of course, because of Christmas break. I had to wait, wait six weeks before I could go to the view again. So that was the longest six week, weeks of my life because I knew the Lord was, I, in my mind at the time, I was like, the Lord is so disappointed in me. I should have just gone. I should have just walked inside. And that's why since that day, I've had this strong conviction in me. And if you've served with me, you know this. That, man, I want every single person who walks through that door to instantly know because Christ is here that they belong. I want every person who's in a seat tonight, my deepest conviction for you is to know that you belong here just as much as anybody else does. And I never could create that. I could never fabricate that for myself. That is a testimony God has given me. And it's not flashy, oh, wow, he wants you to know you're welcome. But like in my story, it's massive to me and I will never forget the fear that I had. And that fear and that moment in my testimony has driven conviction for me for seven years. I wanna ask you, have you had anything like that in your life? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had a moment in your testimony, in your story that gives you conviction, that burns you to the core, that because this happened to you, You wanna do something for somebody else because what good is a testimony? What good is something happening to you if it doesn't burn you alive to want it to happen for somebody else? For some of you, you have crazier stories than I do. There's people in here who have testimonies of God saving them from radical things. You know what, what good though is it if God changes and turns your life completely around if you don't have that desire for other people to experience it? What good is it? Robbie Gallaty out of Hendersonville said the gospel came to you because it was on its way to somebody else. So in your testimony, in your story, do you have moments like that that have shaped you? And if they have, do you lean into them? I heard this quote. I want you to write it down. It's from Tony Evans. He said this, and I think it's fantastic. He said, often our greatest misery becomes our greatest ministry. It's not on the screen. I want you to write that down. That's Tony Evans. That's not me. Often, our greatest misery becomes our greatest ministry. See, for me, I've never forgotten that moment of leaving and the devil winning. And that's the ministry he's given me is to help raise up people who are not 29 years old like me to help others when they come in here feel welcome and feel like they belong, have confidence that they have a place in the kingdom of heaven and they have a place in the local church. What is that for you? What have you gone through in your life? What hardship, what trial, what, va- what mountaintop, what valley? Like what have you experienced? What is something that you remember in your story changing you to the point where you can say, hey, this misery that I endured is gonna be my greatest ministry. Like for some of you, you have a family that you've come from that loves the Lord and trained you up, discipled you, took care of you. And man, I hope and pray one day if you've had that, that that conviction to disciple your future family up one day just flies out of you because the way you were raised. And for some of you, like we're from broken homes, like all of us have broken homes to a degree, but for some of you who have like a broken story, broken childhood, Like, do you know how many people around you are going through the same thing? And you could be somebody that speaks life into them. I could give examples all night. I need to keep going. But God has given you a story. You've gone through highs. You've had amazing things happen in your life. You have skills and abilities, but you've also had lows. You've had hurt. You've had pain. All of it, when you mix it together, becomes a missionary's testimony that points people to Jesus. So number one, to be a witness, you must have a testimony. But not only that, number two, To be a witness, you must be empowered. And this is very important to our message tonight. To be a witness, you must be empowered. To be a blessing, to bless somebody else, to help somebody else in a way that really counts in an eternal way. Not just a pat on the back for the sake of a pat on the back, but to really help life change happen. To be a witness, you must be empowered. What does that mean? Jesus says this in Acts Chapter 1, verse 8, if you'll look with me again, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. There must be an empowerment. When you think about our world today, when you are called in as a witness to testify, some form of authority is calling on you to be a witness. When you go into court, either the judge, the lawyer, police, somebody who is in authority, is calling on a witness to testify. You, when you are a witness in court, you are being empowered by an authority to share. But here's the most important part. I'm, I'm praying, don't miss this. Come in close for this one. Don't lean this. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm giving you this one. Don't miss this. To be a witness, you must be empowered. And when you're called on to testify in court, you're not just called to share. Hear me. You're called on And expected to tell the truth. And that's important. I'm not making fun of Instagram or TikTok. But there's a lot of influencers out there. There's a lot of voices. You got a lot of voices that you come in at all the time. Everybody has a podcast now. And if you have a podcast, great for you. I love it. I'm a fan of podcasts. But man, every NBA player has a podcast. There's bench players that have podcasts. Bro, at some point, you got to log some kind of minutes to have a podcast. If you're an NBA, all right, none of us in here are quite yet. Devon's on his way. But if you're you're starting a podcast, there's a lot of voices coming your way. I want you to understand, when you testify in court, you're expected to tell the truth. Today, with the news, it doesn't matter what is true. It matters who is first. That's how our culture is. It doesn't matter what is true. It matters who is first. And if you're a follower of Jesus to be a witness, you are expected to tell the truth. Now, what does that mean? It means if you're going to go out there and you're going to be a Christian, not an undercover Christian, because there's no such thing as undercover Christians. There can't be in America in 2023. We can't be undercover Christians. If you're going to be a believer and he or she is vocal about their faith, you're going to have to be willing to tell the truth in love. The Bible says this about the truth. It says this in John 8, verse 32. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul wrestled with this. Paul, in the New Testament, especially with the Galatians, he told them the truth of the gospel and that they were were following a fake gospel, that they had gotten off track from where they were. And Paul, in his letters, created a lot of enemies. And his goal was never to create enemies or win arguments. If your goal is to create enemies or win arguments, you're not working for God. You're working for something else entirely. But Paul's mission was to tell the truth. And in Galatians, he wrestled with this. Galatians 4, verse 16, he says this. He says, so then, after laying out the full gospel and where they had missed it, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth. As a witness of Christ, you are expected to tell the truth. And I am too. That means when you and I go to our job and somebody asks you what you believe, what you gonna say? I remember moments in my life where people Asked me, before I had truly given my life to Jesus, they asked me, what do you believe? And, man, I'd fumble through answers. And I remember early on, the first few months I gave my life to Jesus, I remember being so terrified to start telling people, yeah, man, I I believe in the Bible thing. (laughs) Like, I'm following it. Like, if nobody knows you're a witness of Christ, you're not a witness. Because a witness tells the truth. A witness lives a life, not that's perfect, but that is testifying to the truth. Not just the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm here to challenge you for the fall. Some of you are going back to University of Memphis, CBU, Southwest, Rhodes. Some of you are going back to workplaces. Some of you are going back to families. When your family asks you what's going on in your life lately, are you going to share that, man, God's doing something? Or will you do like I want to do sometimes and and cower down and just say, man, I'm I'm doing good, staying out the way, trying to have a little bit of fun? A witness is expected to tell the truth. That means when you share the gospel in love, right, you're not beating anybody up. We're not holding signs up that say turn or burn. That's not the Christian way. That's not the Bible way. There's a wrong way. There's a very wrong way to try to be a witness. There is. The Bible says the truth in love. We often miss in love. but that you would not take away from the gospel. That's a big, that's a tall task. But it's one that is achievable through the power of what? The Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I know. I've been doing college ministry long enough. I've been preaching long enough. What I know is after a sermon like this, you and I both are gonna have opportunities this week where somebody's gonna ask us about Christianity. Like, I just want you to know, I've been doing this long enough. Like, I know it's first week of school. Somebody, God is probably going to give you an opportunity this week to speak up boldly about the truth of the gospel, what are you doing today to prepare for when that moment comes? Not to act arrogantly, but just to act boldly. And to go out there and say, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm not perfect, but man, I've got a testimony. I've got a story, and I'd love for to tell you my story. That's the best thing about being a witness of the gospel is you don't have to make anything up. You get to tell the truth. 2,000 years ago, God came down in the form of a man named Jesus and died for your sins and died for mine and it's changed my life and it could change yours if you repent, but you got to turn from your lifestyle. That's why we do the invitation now with eyes up and everybody looking around because man, like what is there to be ashamed of? If this is good news, shouldn't we all rejoice when somebody wants to ask a question about it? I do, because I got questions. A witness is called on to tell the truth. But not just that. Number three, to be a witness, you must be a blessing. You must be a blessing. (laughs) And that's the best part of Christianity, is that number one, you must have a testimony. You must have a story. There's a conversion. There's a change in your life. Jesus changed me, and this is how. Not just that, but number two, you must be empowered. There is some form of authority, and that authority being the creator of the heavens and the earth, Placing you with the chance to be a witness, to testify to the truth. But then number three, to be a witness, you must be a blessing. What would it look like if you woke up in the morning and you and I put our agendas aside and we put our plan aside and our goal was to see the other people around us? Do you know how many needs that people have around you every day? man? Has God been good to you? I was very quiet. I'll ask again. We can look for a real response. Has God been good to you? Man, if you and I had the power in our lungs to speak up, isn't that a blessing? I mean, if you are writing with a pen and you can write words down because somebody taught you how to read one day, isn't that a blessing? I mean, let's define blessing for a minute. If, you, if you're going to be a blessing, you better know what it is, and I better know what it is, too. If you walked in those doors, isn't that a blessing? If you drove a car tonight here to this building, isn't that a blessing that your car turned on? Because I don't know about you. I've been many places where my car won't turn on. Now, I've never been more thankful to have a whip that can drive than when that car turns on. Because when it don't, you're just out of luck. If you drove here, that's a blessing. Man, the breath that's going into your lungs, has God not been good to you? What about the people that you have in your life? Oh, my goodness. Not everybody's perfect. You've had people that have wronged you, I know. But, man, don't you have people in your life that you're thankful for? Don't you got somebody who you would say, man, I thank God for that person that they're in my life because I couldn't do this without them. Hasn't God been good to you? Did you have lunch today? You're going to have dinner because it's on us. So, man, God's been good to you. (laughs) Don't you go to school? Don't you have a chance to get an education? There's people around the world that would love an education. (laughs) You got family. They're not perfect. Mine isn't either. But whatever family you have, whatever family you come from, hadn't God been good to you to give you people that you can say, hey, that's my family, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, somebody who adopted you, somebody who cared for you, a coach, Has God been good to you? Then if he has, if God has blessed you, how can you and I hold on to it? How can we not give it away? How can we not be a blessing to somebody else? Ultimately, the greatest blessing is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you have him? The treasure that you cherish, your your salvation, your shepherd, your savior, your messiah, the one who loves you, the one who knows you, the ones whose hands were pierced for you on the cross, the one who shed his blood for you, the one who died a gruesome death, crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning, lifted his spirit up at 3 p.m. for your sins and mine. If you have Jesus, isn't that the greatest blessing of all? How can you hold on to that and not share it? The guy who hired me, in 2016, had a saying. I've never forgotten it. He shared it the last night he worked for The View. It was just going away, Sermon. He said this. He told me in his office days before he preached it. He said, Daniel, if you want anything to last, if you want anything to last, anything you have, anything you're holding on to, knowledge, wisdom, hope, passion, opportunity, he said, Daniel, if you want anything in this world to last, you have to give it away. What you don't give away won't last. It'll go with you. College students, you have time. You have time. Some of you don't have, and I'm talking to myself too, some of you don't have as much time as you could because you don't use it well. You have time. Are there people who would be blessed by your time? You have words. Oh, I know you can talk. I sit down with you over Chick-fil-A. I know college students can talk. You've got words. Do they lift up or do they tear down? You've got money, maybe a little bit. Not much. You're in college. I get it. You're like, Daniel, oh, hold on. That's the one I don't have. You're like, I got time. I got words. I ain't got money because I'm trying to work on the car that keeps breaking down. But you've got $5 to bless somebody when you're in line getting a drink in the cafe or the UC or Starbucks or Panera Bread. More than all that, you have Jesus. If you know him, if you're a believer, you have the gospel and you're a witness. Do you and I look for opportunities to share it?